This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Today, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about what does what does change, what doesn't change, and, and what does change, what doesn't change, and, and how can we really center on what doesn't change? And one of the things I want to talk about today is the idea of one of the things that doesn't change is God's, please listen carefully to this, God's ceaseless endeavor to bring the very best he can out of challenging circumstances. God's ceaseless endeavor to bring the very best he can out of challenging circumstances. And what does that ch- translate into in terms of what doesn't change? That, that there will always be some good that arises out of evil. And that's challenging, right? Especially for a former history teacher who can look at this, this, and this and be like, wait a minute, how did that work? How did that work? How did that work? And it's not, I don't want to come at it from, from this angle because I, I sometimes pastors say this, I, I don't agree with it, that that God sort of allows bad things to happen so that good things can happen. That's not true. And also that, that somehow the bad thing will be, will, that, that the, the good thing will eclipse the bad thing that will happen. That's not necessarily true either. What is true is that there is this ceaseless endeavor by God to bring as much good as possible out of the challenges of life. That to me is really important. And, and we get a chance to, to see that and to understand in our lives that, that our lives are just filled with all these different experiences, some great, some challenging, some light, some dark. And, 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 and our job is to like bring all these experiences together. When we bring them together, somehow that becomes a much richer world, a good world, a good world, not necessarily a perfect world. A good world. Not necessarily a perfect world. This idea of, of this collection of people and perspectives and, and, and life and life experiences was brought home several weeks ago at New Church Live where we did just a real simple thing. And, and what we did is that we, we texted and, and asked people just, could you text us a picture of the window you're looking out of? And to me, folks, I need to say, it was an incredibly powerful moment as a pastor to look through those pictures. I mean, we got all, we got dozens and dozens of them. We got pictures, for example, from Vancouver. We have pictures as well from Nevada. That is a great front yard, by the way. We got pictures as well from South Dakota. We got other pictures from a rooftop in Philadelphia down to very local pictures of David and Jenny's garden. Those folks speak to this this broadness and this breadth of experience that that churches can bring together, churches, synagogues, mosques. like, Like we can bring these experiences together in this beautiful idea of community. We've been talking a lot about that word beloved community. I think these are all pictures of that. And I feel like that is part of like when, and this will sort of be the punchline really of the service is, is when we all pull our experiences together, we can remember things. And if we can't remember them, 
We have friends and families, family and others who can remember them for us. Who can remind us, gently, not in the form of advice, but can remind us of God's unceasing endeavor to bring good out of evil. Now, I want to read a, a story about that, and this is the story of, of Adam and Eve. This is a story, very famous story in the Bible, story of creation. And, and this is a story in the new church. Again, we really read it very poetically. Uh, you know, I say that a lot. It's really important. We don't read it as like, this is literal history. It's far, far better than that. <laughs> it's, 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 it's poetic. It's, it's telling us a deeper truth about the world and life and about ourselves. And anytime you hear it, it's important to see yourselves as playing, playing all kinds of different parts in these stories. It speaks to different parts of ourselves. So Adam and Eve, the first human beings created, and God put them in a garden. That garden was called Eden. And that's where we pick up the story from Genesis 2. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. By the way, John Steinbeck fans, that's where he got the title of his book, East of Eden. And there he put the man he had formed, And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, key there, in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord God commanded him, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. For when you eat from it, you surely will die. So he puts a couple of trees in the center, and it begs, you know, this, like this question, well, which tree was actually center? And here's the amazing part. Both trees were center. And it's that idea, very much um, held tightly by New Church, that, that life always has a balance to it. It's always this, and it's always that. A little aside, something to think about and consider. Maybe that's why, as, as some great theologians have said, the most the, the, the truths that we can most count on are ones that actually have a little bit of an element of paradox to them. It's this, and it's that. It's this both-and view. Now, first off, with the tree of life, next slide here, with the tree of life, the tree of life was center, and, and God said clearly, like, you can eat of all the fruits there. Like, it's, it's a tree of abundance, it's, it's a tree that we can use, it's, it's, it's a good tree, healthy tree, like, that's the tree you want to eat from. I want to slide over here and talk about that second tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, let's take a look at a, at a slide about that. The tree of knowledge of good and evil also center, but here God says, don't eat or touch its fruit. Don't eat or touch its fruit. Now the way this story goes, and, and for those of you familiar with it, you know this, for those of you who don't, this may be the first time you've heard it said, is, is what happens is Adam and Eve, they're, they're, they're in the garden. Eve gets told by a serpent, representing kind of the forces of darkness, forces of darkness in ourselves, of really central parts of our lives, that no, actually you can eat this tree, you can eat of it, and you'll be totally fine. So that's what she does. She takes a big old bite of the apple that he that he offered to her, 
and then it sort of cascades into this into this 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 disaster, this this disaster where they eventually get kicked out of the garden. Now let's look a little bit more about that, what that means. You know, and the idea of, of what does it mean to actually eat from this other tree? Like we got a tree of life, we got a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, what does that really mean? That's that's just a strange story. And what I would offer is actually when we understand it poetically, it's a story that has an incredible lesson for us in our lives. So this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this is what it says in Genesis. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Good and evil, excuse me. What does that mean in a poetic sense? Well, this is from the book Secrets of Heaven. They believe their eyes are open, and like God, they can identify good and evil. Now, when we read that at, at a sort of a surface level, it's, it's so easy to kind of think, like, but aren't we supposed to be able to differentiate from good and evil? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's part of the human condition, is, is knowing how to sort those things out. How to be able to, to call something that's wrong, to be able to call it out and say, that's Wrong, period. As well as being able to see those things that are good and being able to look at that and say, that's good, period. But it's a different kind of judgment that's being talked about here. And here, as one of our friends on Sermon Writing Team said, you know, it's, it's looking at this apple, and this apple that we know isn't good, but it sure is delicious. <laughs> I like that line. Uh, this apple that isn't good, but it sure is delicious. So I want to step back over here and give you a little context for that. Being a, a history teacher, we have to understand the implications if we believe that we are the final arbiters of what is good and what is evil, especially if it lapses into not just what is good and what is evil, but listen carefully, friends. But who is good and who is evil? Those things, and again, Eve, it, it, it's, it's, it's a subtle temptation. You know, here's Eve, this beautiful part of us, and it's a subtle temptation, but it's a temptation that can lead us into all kinds of challenging places. I want to share with you an example that actually happened right here on the stage of New Church Live to drive this home. And I want to start with a little historical background. Again, I'm a complete history geek. And one of the cool little things I like to do is to walk around and just you find little history things around and you get a chance to, to grab them and then use them, use them when I taught and use them at New Church Live services. This is a bill from pre-World War II Germany, right before the Nazis took over. And this bill, you probably can't read it, it's ein billion marks. In other words, it's a one billion mark bill. That sink in. One billion mark bill. This doesn't mean that my possession of it makes me a billionaire. Germany at this time, after World War I, before World War II, experienced hyperinflation, where money essentially lost its value. So for money to have any value, you literally were printing out bills that had, had a billion on it. Like, it was meaningless, meaningless, meaningless stuff. I mean, a famous story from that time is someone goes to buy bread, they've got a wheelbarrow, they've got a bunch of cash in it, they go in to buy the bread, they, they grab the bread and they say, we'll be right in with the cash, and somebody had dumped the cash and stolen the wheelbarrow. Famous history teacher story there. 
that had implications because that married with a virulent anti-Semitism. And that anti-Semitism led to the Holocaust. So economic crisis married to virulent anti-Semitism led to the Holocaust. Where the Nazis were convinced that they knew what was good and what was evil. They not only knew what was good and what was evil, they knew who was good and who was evil. And that had very real-world tragic consequences. One of the people who spoke here at New Church Live, you know, and I, I talk about our speakers all the time because they're so powerful, uh, was Eva Kaur. And, and Eva, Eva came here. She was a Holocaust survivor. Um, just an amazing, an amazing story. She was sent to Auschwitz. She was an identical twin, so her and her sister were put under Dr. Mengele's experimental camp there where they were experimented on, the rest of her family deceased. And I want us to go back and, and just listen to her words again so we can see, again, like the real-world implications of this, of this story, where, again, where we can see the danger of where we not only choose what's good and evil, but we choose this. Who is good and who is evil? Eva Kaur. Among them, my father, Alexander Moses, age 44. My mother, Jaffa Moses, age 38. My oldest sister, Edith, 14. My middle sister, Alice, 12. Miriam and I, twins, we were 10 years old. As soon as we stepped down from the cattle car onto a cement platform, a strip of land that I measured years later, 85 feet long by 35 feet wide. My mother, as we stepped down, took my twin sister and me by the hand, holding on to us, hoping that as long as she could hold on to us, that somehow she could protect us. There was a lot of shoving, crying, pushing, yelling, dogs barking. I could not make any sense of that place, but in my childish curiosity, I looked around, trying to figure out what is this place. And as I looked around, I realized that my father and two older sisters were gone. Never ever did I see them again. Now we are holding on to mother for dear life. And Nazis running in the middle of that selection platform, yelling in German, twins, twins. We did not volunteer any information. We had no idea what worked in this place. He noticed Miriam and me because we were dressed alike and we looked alike, and he demanded to know if we were twins. And my mother didn't know what to say. She asked, is that good? And the Nazi nodded yes, and my mother said yes. At that moment, another Nazi came, pulled my mother to the right, we were pulled to the left, we were crying, she was crying. And all I really remember 
seeing my mother's arms stretched out in despair as she was pulled away. I never even got to say goodbye to her, and I didn't really understand that this would be the last time that we would see her. And all that took 30 minutes from the time we stepped down from the cattle car. Such a powerful, powerful talk. And she literally gave it right here, right in this space. Since she gave that, Eva, Eva has passed. But that legacy goes on. And I would urge you, if you want to, you know, look back into the New Church Live archives and, and listen to her story. It really is an amazing story of actually where she comes to forgiveness, which is this transition into this other part. Street light. Gives rise to this other part. This tree of life. What does it mean when we're when we when we when we let go of that idea of of that deep, absolutely you know strident, ironclad judgment that's constantly putting people into into good and evil boxes? What what happens on the other side of that when we start to let that go, and then we start to grasp this other piece, this tree of life that we are supposed to eat from, and to eat from abundantly? It's a good tree, the fruit good, the roots good, the wood strong. What does that mean? Tanati, this is from New Church Theology. In other words, to eat from the tree of life and not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If others mention faith, these people, and here they're talking angels, they perceive love. Whatever has to do with faith, they see is stemming from love and goodwill. That's so, that word goodwill, so important. Can we bring goodwill? They have a hard time listening to cold, factual arguments about faith. I love that line. Because the Lord gives them a perception through love of what is good and what is true. That's what it means when we don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and when we do come back to the tree of life. It's that coming back to love. I think just again, and some of you have heard me say this before, just, just watching after Eva talk, watching her out there connect with different people in the lobby. And, and a moment that was just like stark for me was I was watching her sign, sign books and I was over on on her left, and, and I noticed, and she had told the story about getting the, the tattoo at Auschwitz from the, from the SS guards on her arm. And I remember thinking for a minute, I wish I could ask her if I could just touch it and pray. I didn't do that. In a way, I don't regret not doing that. Because that mark was so holy. You know, all she had been through, carrying that mark through her life, but finding that way to the tree of life. An incredibly deep, powerful story. So again, we can let go of, of, of sort of that strident judgment and embrace this place where we come from love. 
And again, friends, it's not saying there aren't times where we say there's good and there's evil. You know, there clearly are. But I hope you hear what, what we're driving at here. You know, the kind of judgment that actually society can't work with, the community can't work with, that actually is highly detrimental to everything about being human beings. And a lot of this, when we move away from judgments, and here's a little aside, and just because I know talking about the Holocaust is heavy, just a little aside that I, that I offer with a smile. I, I love this little, little graph. The Dunning-Kruger effect, and the Dunning-Kruger effect is funny. I asked my friend, and he said, yep, it's a real thing. There's real studies on it, which is what happens is that those who don't have much knowledge about something are the most confident that their judgments are right. That's pretty good. That reminds me just of those areas where I actually feel the most confident. Like, I'm absolutely right on this. I probably don't have enough knowledge. And I think, in a way, this treatment kind of pulls us back from like, yeah, you know, we, we don't know enough to make, to make judgments. We just don't. And we have to go back to that humble place. I had said, right, that, you know, at the beginning of the service, that this is about how how God will always bring good out of evil, that there's this unceasing endeavor to bring the most amount of good possible out of these really hard circumstances. I said it a few weeks ago, I'm going to say it again. Please listen carefully. There is no opposition to that force. There is no force out there in the world that seeks to make the worst out of every bad situation. Now, granted, there's probably some of you watching online right now going, Chuck, you have not seen my life this week. <laughs> I will grant that some days wish God was a little more apparent with what the plan was. But I know this, friends. I know that if we hold on, that we will get to witness and feel God's unceasing, loving endeavor to bring the most good he can out of really hard circumstances. Now, did we see that with Eva? Uh, yeah, we saw it in spades with Eva. Yes, was Eva when she came out of the camp. That's actually her in the front there with her twin sister, right behind the, right behind the woman there, marching together as they're liberated from the camp. Gives you an idea of her age. So Eva's been t- told her story for decades. And she told her story to one of our dear congregants, uh, one of our board members, Chris Dunn. And Chris and her were friends, actually, before he even became part of New Church Live. He was a big part of why she came. So I want you to hear for a minute Chris's bit, and I want you to hear it and hear the bass note underneath it of God's unceasing desire, unceasing will to bring the greatest good he can out of really challenging circumstances. Chris Dunn. Hey there. My name is Chris. I'm a board member at New Church Live and a member of the congregation. And I want to share with you that a lot of times I feel helpless. A lot of times uh, it just seems like the world is chaos with this pandemic. And there's nothing that I can do to change these monumental shifts that are happening right now. And when I have these thoughts, I'm reminded of my friend Eva Kaur, 
She grew up in a concentration camp. She was a survivor of Auschwitz. She actually was a child in Auschwitz who underwent experiments, horrific things. See, my friendship with Eva Kaur later in her life, it showed me that there could be chaos in the world, and yet what we are responsible for and what we are not helpless in is the work that we can do to create peace within ourselves during bad times, during challenging times. Eva Kaur found peace. She found healing, not in changing the external circumstances of her life, but in looking within herself, finding the pain, addressing it, being real about it, confronting it. And through that processing, she found meaning. She found that she was in control of her life again. So my thought for you today is that, while I think it's very much the case that all of us are feeling chaotic out in this world right now, look within. Be a reflection of the peace and meaning that you desire to see in the world around you. And it starts with looking within yourself. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Chris. Folks, that, that bet is so strong, right? Chris and her connected. Chris had challenging life circumstances. She had challenging historical circumstances. They connected. And I, I love Chris's words there. We're not talking some Pollyannish, like, don't worry, be happy. Great song, by the way. Not necessarily terrific spirituality. It, it, it's, it embraces that, yeah, life, life is really hard. But that God, in ways that are beyond a specific denominational approach, if we're able to embrace it, is constantly moving forward in this endeavor of love, constantly being, for, being pulled forward as best God can at that moment, given the circumstances of the moment, as best God can at that moment, given the circumstances of that moment. It sure is a powerful way to see life. And we get a chance to see that even in, in such horrendous things as the Holocaust that led all kinds of damage, all kinds of damage, that God's work, even in to 2020, has been how can he just take even a simple event as Eva speaking here, can take even that, and continue to allow that to ripple out, to try to take out of that horror that was the Holocaust in Auschwitz and try to, as best he can, pull as, good, as much good as possible out of that incredibly tragic moment. Knowing that human beings, being free, do make some awfully horrendous decisions. And human beings, being free, can always choose the road to redemption. You can always choose that tree. You can always choose the tree of life. What happens when we make that choice? Well, I think the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life, I think tree of, tree of knowledge of good and evil, when we say, yep, I'm not going to eat from there, it's where we give up being the decider. 
decider on all things, all people, good or evil, putting it into those simplistic boxes. We're all such mixed up people. (laughs) And I say that with a smile. We're all this mixed. It's where we give up being the decider. And we embrace being the chooser. We give up being the decider. And we embrace being the chooser. And what is it that we choose? We choose this question. What can I do here? What can I do here? In your life, this Father's Day, what can you do here? That's the core of that message. It's, it's, it's not saying that that, you know, that all the pieces are like terrific or that it was great that the Holocaust happened. Like, heaven forbid we ever say that. But it's just saying that with life circumstances, we align ourselves with God when we choose, and when we choose to ask the question, what can I do here? Then what does life become like? Life becomes like a set of circles, becomes like a set of circumstances where we all embrace all these different things of life and somehow we get to see for a moment that it all belongs somehow and that God is continually pulling it towards good. The thing is, we get to the end of this fiscal year, I was thinking, boy, what a year. <laughs> I mean, what a year. I say it with a laugh because part of me wants to cry. A year ago, we were actually moving out of this space because this space was closed. And we're closing the fiscal year with this space closed, but about to blessedly reopen. When you think back to the year behind, it, it gets some things clear in times that can feel so hard. It gets some place centered and grounded that a time can feel so decentering and ungrounded. What you just saw in those pictures was the tree of life. What you just saw in those pictures was the tree of life. As we move forward, as we take one step after another. A final word today is please, let's all continue here in ways that ripple out to choose that, to choose the tree of life. Amen. Now, folks, what I'm going to do is I'm going to close with a prayer, and then I'm going to close with the Lord's Prayer. Just a little note about the Lord's Prayer. I know we have people from a lot of different denominations who tune in. This particular version of the Lord's Prayer is the one I grew up with. It's the New Church version. There are numerous versions, and that's the one I'll be reciting today. So please join me in a prayer. So, Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. Lord, help us to choose. Help us to choose the tree of life. Help us to choose the tree of life for ourselves. Help us to choose. Help us to choose the tree of life 
in our communities, in our families, in our churches, in our nation, in our world. Help us to choose. Allow that choice to be one that centers and grounds us, not in judgment, but in love, in compassion and care. Thank you for your presence among us here today on this Father's Day. Hear our prayer. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Folks, wishing you a wonderful week. God bless. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 